Hello, my beautiful beanies, and welcome to The Bean for Wednesday. First with yesterday's news, I am Glenn ZB. We're looking back at Tuesday. Uh, we don't know how to manage our personal finances, apparently, now, in this day and age even. Uh, why is it that David Seymour seems to be the leader of the opposition at the moment? Um... Oh, and uh, the DHBs, they look like they might actually finally be in for a shake-up. But before any of those things, uh, we'll keep it on health matters, because I don't know if you noticed, but we've got two new cases of COVID again. Sorry to bang on about it, but I cannot understand. And in a way, I feel like the government and Dr. Ashley Bloomfield are responsible to tell us almost why the compassionate consideration for these two. Why was this, why was this case so special? What's it, what about these two and what about the case that when their relative had passed away already, when so many other people in this country wanted to see dying relatives for a couple of days and they had tested free for COVID and so were the person, the, the, the person that was ill, why not for them? So something's happened to allow these two and I'd love to know what that was, why these two. My feeling would be, to be blunt, that I'm guessing the decision wasn't made at Ashley Bloomfield level. I'm guessing it was made by an official in Auckland. And to be blunt, I would consider it rank incompetency. Yes, it does uh, reek of rank incompetency. And believe me, nobody understands rank incompetency like I do. Uh, How does Marcus feel about the situation? I've gone and looked on my social media, the social as you called it, Facebook, And people are screaming about the government allowing this to happen. And the screaming is really vocal. And I haven't gone back down people's feeds, but it looks to me that these are exactly the same people that were screaming how unfair it was for people not to be going to funerals. So it seems as though some people are just contrarian. I'm extremely unhappy this has happened because I just didn't think it would. But they always said there will be more cases. And there is and there are. And we need to wash our hands again. I don't even know what else to say. But there's a lot of anger out there. I'm not even quite sure who the anger is for or with. We were a team of five million, now a team of five million and two. I can't quite, I can't understand anything about it. I can't work it out. I don't know if these people are going to speak to the media. They went to Wellington to grieve the sudden, sudden passing of their parent. So hopefully we've dodged a bullet. Yes, I mean, at least we know about this now and not after you know, 50 or 5,000 people uh, turn out to be infected from these people. Seems like we found out about it at an early stage, but I'm no epidemiologist. I just wanted to make that absolutely clear that I'm not an epidemiologist. Uh, Neither is David Clark, uh, even though he is in charge of health these days. Um... He also has to talk about uh, not just that, either. I think was initially going to get on to talk about the DHB report. Listen, this recommendation from Heather Simpson, then we cut back the number of DHBs to 8 to 12. Would you go further than that? Look, I, I um, accept the, the reviews uh, board 
um, findings and the direction of travel, the idea that we have our number of DHBs feels about right to me. Obviously, the detailed implementation will need to be worked through because what the report highlights is the need to make sure that we're planning properly for local service delivery and making sure that um, everybody can access healthcare no matter who they are and no matter where they are in New Zealand. Uh, we want to make sure that they're accessing a high quality of healthcare services. Now, that, that piece has to happen first before we start amalgamating the DHBs. We need to make sure we're actually delivering the services that are needed. Yes, uh, I think everybody's agreed there are far too many and far too much replication. Do we even need eight would be my next uh, question. Isn't one system fine for everybody? I don't know. Now, uh, 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 there's a a report out that we're terrible with our personal finances. Um, I feel like this is a report that comes out year after year after year. More than 70% said they wouldn't be able to meet basic financial commitments such as the mortgage or the rent, the utility bills, the power, the telephone, the whatever, beyond a short period of time, around about three months, if they lost their jobs. Young Kiwis, perhaps not surprisingly, are the least prepared for a loss of income. And I don't think we can put that down to buying the latest iPhone. It's just simply a matter they don't have the assets they can they can draw on. They haven't got equity in a home that they can use as a revolving loan to be able to tide them over until they find another job. So what is the problem with Kiwis? Is it because we're Flash Harrys who like all the latest toys and like magpies can't resist the shiniest trinkets? I don't think it is that at all. Is it because we're a low-wage economy? Well, you know, there's not a lot to come and go on for a lot of people. Are we so desperate to be our own bosses that we're investing time and money into businesses that simply aren't turning a profit, that aren't giving us enough to live on and then set aside for a rainy day? That was a number of talkback callers also suggested that that this virus and the subsequent lockdown would sort the wheat from the chaff when it came to profitable profitable businesses over non-profitable businesses. Yes, we like to be our own boss, but some of the businesses just aren't making enough to break even, far less tide you over when times get tough. Are we simply muppets with money? Is there something in the, in the New Zealand psyche that says as soon as it comes in, it's got to go out. I would love to hear your thoughts on this one. If push came to shove, if you lost your job tomorrow and you wanted to give yourself breathing room of three months, would you be able to do it? If you have lost your job, I'd love to hear from you as to how you've coped what the next steps are, how you're paying the bills in the meantime. I was talking to someone on the plane back from Queenstown and he was saying a couple of friends who are in their 50s, middle management, good salaries, cars that come with the job, they've lost their jobs. One of them is holding on, trying to find a similar job. The other one's become a digger driver, loving it. Not the same perks, Not the same money, but it's money coming in and he's really enjoying the job, as I would, I think. I think being a digger driver would be cool. You know, some people are able to pivot. Some people are able to transition and say, okay, I used to have that job. That used to be my role, but hey, I could do this. 
And they're the ones who are going to be able to adapt far more easily. Yeah, the age-old question, isn't it? What would you do if you weren't doing what you're doing? Um, I don't know about being a digger driver. I, I feel like I'd cock that up too much. And when you're talking diggers and the stuff that they do, it doesn't have to be a very big cock-up for it to be a massive cock-up, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think my alternative occupation, I've always said, uh, is retirement. That's what That'd be my preference. Uh, we're going to finish up here uh, with Kate. Just sort of wondering how come David Seymour seems to be the leader of the opposition these days. So why is it? We need this COVID-wrapped, taxpayer-funded advertising making obvious suggestions like shop local. Could we not have figured that out for ourselves? As of this Friday, the country enters the official pre-election period, which comes with very strict rules for political parties. All these rules come into play, one of which is that government advertising should be presented in a manner which is free from partisan promotion of government policy, which is where we have another problem. Because Seymour points out the Unite for Recovery website promotes at least a dozen new Labour government COVID-19 programmes, in effect, promotions of its party policy, which is in a clear breach of the Cabinet Manual Guidelines. But they're banking on us not noticing, because while they can keep us in a crisis mode mentality, it continues to position them as saviours. It keeps all eyes focused on the government. Seymour says Labour doesn't want the crisis to end because it's managed to control the narrative, the people and the polls. It is desperate to avoid a return to normal politics because that would mean having to talk about its failings. So will this open, honest and transparent government choose to play by the election rules or not? Because party leader Jacinda Ardern herself, back in January, you may recall, uh, she called very publicly for a factual election campaign, one free of misinformation, a principled, open, transparent campaign, she promised. Is that what we're getting? Or does their new addiction to crisis management, a.k.a. control, overshadow everything now? Um, I don't really have a massive problem with David Seymour being the person who holds the government to account, other than the fact that I've always been worried about the way he walks. It's a weird walk he's got. Him and Colin Craig, they both have a funny walk. I've got a, I mean, I've got a funny walk, but then I'm not trying to hold the government to account. So, and I don't know why the two are connected. I don't think they are. I'm just saying, I'm a little bit sceptical because of the walk. I am Glenn ZB. I'm going to go and try and get my feet pointing straight ahead. They, they, they splay out, and I really got to. Um, that was news source ZB. I'll see you back here again tomorrow with another one.